0: Welcome to Grace this weekend. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and, and I am excited that we're in this series uh, called My Get To Life, Finding Wonder in the Everyday. And uh, if you missed last week and we kicked this off just one weekend ago and uh, what we really said was that, that my life is always in, a, we're in a series of circumstances that, and I have really a, a set of choices on how I can view those circumstances, right, at any given time. I can view my circumstances as something that I have to do, right, a series of obligations, or as something that I get to do, right? And that's kind of the premise that we're setting up. And we said it's summertime. A lot of us are switching gears. And, right, I know that a lot of us are going to be traveling. Maybe you're coming out of school mode. You're finishing up exams or graduating. Some of us are traveling, watching live stream right now, maybe even hello if you are. And in that time where we're switching gears, it's a great time for us to, to pause and really to ask the question, you know, how am I viewing my life today, right? Is my life uh, a series of have-tos or is it a series of get-tos? And I know for me, I first started to kind of see this mentality show up back in college. I would jump into a semester. I would jump into kind of new phase of life with all kinds of energy and excitement. I would view it as something that I get to do And then I would kind of lose steam over the semester. And by the end, I would feel like, man, I'm kind of trapped in this semester. I just want it to be done. I want it to be over with. This is something that I have to do. And we've been asking that question, how did my perspective move so much on me? How is it possible that sometimes life is a a series of privileges? And then sometimes it's a series of obligations. And what's the difference on having a have-to or having a get-to mindset or a get-to life. And what we said is this thing matters a ton. Right? If I'm going to habitually find my view of life in one camp or the other, no matter where I find myself, it's going to mark me as a person. If I look at where I am in life, my roles, my responsibilities, my job, right, my family is something that I have to do that I'm kind of stuck in. That, right, it's going to start to mark me as a person of bitterness and of resentment, and it's going to harden my heart, and eventually I'm going to become cynical. And we said, nobody wants to be like that. So we, we said, what we want to do is look at what happens to us when we land in the get-to life, right, where I can become more and more a person of peace and a person of contentment and really, I can become a person of wonder who just captures what God is doing in my every day. We said, man, we want to do that more and more and more. How do I live this life where I can see the wonder of the every day and, and really see life through the lenses of privilege? And what we did last weekend was kind of laid that paradigm out. If you missed that conversation, I encourage you to catch up online. You can do that through the app or through the website, graceohio.org. And here's what we kind of landed with. We said, in most circumstances that we're going to find ourselves in, in kind of everyday life, right, if they're ideal or they're mundane or they're busy, a very small tweak, really just replacing the language of from have to to get to will change my whole perspective. Just, just the discipline of, of kind of catching myself doing that, right, when I'm saying, oh, I have to go to the store, or, I have to run so-and-so here, or, I have to go to work on Monday, Moving that instead of a have to and actually replacing it with the language of get to can kind of capture my perspective and, and shift my reality so I can remember that I'm in a privilege mindset rather than an obligation one. And uh, this lady came up to me right before first service. She said, Ryan, she gives you a high five. And she says, I've been doing this all week long. I've been catching myself saying have to, and I've been replacing it with the get to. And she goes, it's working. Like, it's changing the way I see my life. She was so fired up and excited about it. I was like, that's awesome. And because right, this stuff, even though it's a small tweak, it can change our lives. And I'm curious, some of you guys were here uh, last week. How many of you at least once caught yourself replacing the language of have to with the language get to. Raise your hands if you did at least one time. That's what I'm talking about. I think I did it at least 30 times, right? It was just like, because I say it all the time. But man, I see the wonder of life more and more with that little switch. And we say, that's all fine and good, but what do I do when that get to doesn't come so easy? Right? When, when life isn't ideal, when, when it's not so simple just to, to change some language, what do I do in times when life is difficult, right? When I'm surrounded by what the Bible would call trials and it's confusing and, and I'm not sure how to approach my life or there's loss and right, all kinds of trouble is surrounding my life. We said that last week that Jesus told us that in this life we're gonna have trouble. How do I view my life as a get-to when it's hard, right? when it's difficult? How do, I find, how do I find wonder in the middle of trials? That's what we want to focus on today. We want to kind of dive into a conversation about trials and and pain, really, right? Because the reality is, in the human experience, we are going to have pain. And some of us are in the thick of that today, and some of us have been in the past, and some of us will kind of experience some of that someday in the future, but all of us at some point are going to experience pain and trials and frustration How do I manage that? How do I find wonder in the midst of that? Right? Am I supposed to just slap on a happy face and pretend like it doesn't hurt? I hope that's not the answer. Right? Nobody wants to pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Am I supposed to become so consumed in my pain that it kind of swallows me up and I lose myself in it? Certainly that's not the answer that God would have for us. So How do I walk in the middle of pain in such a way that I'm honest with myself on where I am, but I can also cling to wonder and cling to hope and find perspective in it? That's what we're going to be diving into today, and I I want to start us off with a guy who is in the middle of a trial, right? He's kind of smack dab in the middle of it. We're going to look at uh, some of his kind of story, his perspective. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 13 if you have a Bible with you. You can open up there. Psalm 13 is kind of in the middle. And uh, if you're a a smartphone or iPad user, tablet user, you can look on the app or download that app, Grace Ohio, and follow along in the notes section. And if you need a Bible, if you need a copy of God's Word, you can uh, grab one from underneath the chairs there, open it up to page 378 in those chairs. And if you you need one, you can actually take it home with you if uh, you need a copy of God's Word. So as you're turning there, Psalm 13... Let me give you a little background on David. This guy, uh, he's an inspiration to me. He's kind of a man's man. He's a warrior. He would have literally fought a lot of his life where, where he would have spent it in war. And so he's a guy who would have been surrounded in all kinds of trials. He would have been outnumbered. His life would have been in danger often. And he found himself in some rough and some sticky situations. He would eventually become king of Israel and he's a guy who would have some high highs and some low lows kind of in his story but overall he's a guy that was marked by faith and he trusted God and what I appreciate so much about him is he doesn't candy coat it right when he's struggling or he's having a hard time he kind of tells us that's where he is and he's honest with his relationship with God kind of tells God what's happened in his heart I, I want us to see this Psalm 13, here's David, and here's what he says. He says, how long, Lord? Verse 1, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? This guy doesn't sound like a warrior, does he? Or does he? Here's a guy who's being extremely transparent Extremely open about where he is. He almost sounds like he's in a depressive state. I'm going to read verse 2 again. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes where I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. This guy is honest, and he is open, and he's looking at God and saying, God, are you going to show up in the middle of this thing? Because I don't know how to manage it, and I don't have the answers, and I need you to help me. A guy who, like all of us, could have incredible temptation to be self-reliant, instead turns towards God in the midst of his trials. I think it's fascinating, it's encouraging that we can see David's example of how to approach trials. And, and that word trial is going to show up elsewhere in the Bible. The trials are going to be everything from, we always say, kind of the trivial to the tragic, right? And the trivial is going to show up in the everyday. It's getting caught in the traffic jam. You know, it's getting, getting stuck behind the slow walker at the store. And you're just like, please, just a little faster, go, right? It's like that one thing your coworker says, and it just bugs you and gets kind of under your skin. The next day, you're going to forget about it. It's no big deal. It's the trivial things, but in the moment, they grab our attention, and they kind of consume us, at least for a little while. I was thinking about this this week. Um, Lori and I, were like you guys, right? We're busy, and uh, we've got four kids, and uh, we had this just kind of spontaneous window of time open up one night this week, and we had about an hour, and Lori was like, I need to go to the store, honey. Uh, Sam's Club closes in one hour. Are you cool if I just run down the store? Can you watch the kids? And I'm going to go grab some groceries. I was like, great, let's do it. Awesome. No big deal, right? My six-year-old has all of these expectations about how the night's going to play out, right? She didn't communicate any of those expectations. She's a sweetheart. little girl named Eden. She's very small. She's about this big, right? And, and she had all these expectations that she was going to connect with her mom and talk about some things that are coming up. And, and so Eden comes down the stairs, and she finds me, and she goes, Daddy, where's mom? You know, I go, oh, honey, she ran to the store. Like, no big deal, right? Well, she loses her mind when I tell her that. She immediately, like it was spontaneous burst of tears popped out of her eyeballs. I was like, how are you crying immediately? She just starts bawling. Why did mommy have to leave? I'm like, honey, it's one hour. Why did she do it? And she just keeps going and going. And I'm like, honey, please help me, right? I need some backup. What do I do with this child? I love her, but I'm not sure what's happening, right? And she actually stops, right? And she looks at me and she goes, what's more important, the store or me? And I was like, do not laugh at your children, right? <laughs> but like in her little six-year-old heart and mind, man, the world ended because mom went to the store for an hour. All hope is lost, right? But, but that's the thing. From her vantage point, that little, little trial consumed her. Man, and that is true For all of us, if I'm 6 or I'm 96, if the trial is trivial or if it is tragic, when pain hits and my expectations aren't met, right, and and something happens that sends me reeling, here's what I know about pain and here's what I know about trials is it will consume my attention and it's all I can see, right? This is the totality of, of my vision at the moment a trial hits, I'm in the thick of this, right? It's a six-year-old saying, I thought I was going to talk to my mom, and she is not here. I'm going to lose my mind, right? And, and that's true in the trivial. Man, it's even more true in the tragic and in everything in between. And today what I want to do is I want to look more and more kind of on the tragic end of the spectrum because if we know what to do with that, we're going to be able to manage the trivial much more easily, Okay, these trials that can show up in our lives, it's, it, it can happen in a moment, right, or it can be elongated. Sometimes it's the doctor delivering us bad news that's life-altering, right? I didn't see it come on. I didn't know that that was going to happen to me, and now my life is changed. It, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance breaking off a relationship, and I had this future in my mind, and we were going to be together forever, and now we're not, and I don't know what to do with it, right? Some, sometimes it's a chronic illness. and something I got to figure out. How do I relearn how to do life now that my body doesn't work, or my mind doesn't work the way that I thought it was going to work? Sometimes it's It's approaching life and wanting to live my life with someone. Wanting to find a spouse and God hasn't brought that person. I'm trying to be patient but I don't know how and it's a trial, right? It's finding out that I have this problem in my marriage or problem in my finances and it's complicated and it's not going to be fixed easily and I don't know how to manage it. I can't get my head around it and all I can see is the problem, It's consuming me, right? Sometimes it is unexpected or significant loss that all of us are going to face at one time or another. And when those trials hit, man, they hit us hard and they send us reeling. And here's what I want us to know. It's okay that it hurts, right? We are human. And in the human experience, Pain is normal and pain is expected. I'm not, I don't need to candy coat it. I don't need to pretend like it doesn't hurt. I don't need to suck it up. I I need to say, God, my heart is broken, right? My expectations are shattered. The dream that I had that didn't come through God, has left me heartbroken. What do I do now? This is where David is. He's in the thick of this and we can see him at least in this one psalm, actually in many other psalms, you're going to see this kind of thing come out where he would look at God and say, God, how long? How long is this going to last? How long will this trial be? Are you going to hide from me forever? How long will my thoughts plague me? God, get me out of this problem. Now somehow, David is able to move from there, from a place of being completely consumed by the trial that he's in where all that he can see and all of his vision is this trial and somehow he's able to move from there to a place where he's able to see more and he's able to see that God is good. Look at this verse and how he lands this conversation, right? He's kind of lamenting towards God and telling God God, God, show up in my life. I don't know what to do. Please save me. Verse five, though, it's gonna turn a corner and another aspect of truth is gonna show up in David's life. Here's what he says. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David is able to, to see beyond just a little bit beyond his pain and start to see the goodness of God in his life. And here's what all of I think all of us do, this at least I do. When something happens, when tragedy strikes, or expectations don't play out the way that we think they're going to. It's pretty normal, at least for me, probably for all of us, to start to ask some questions. To start to say is God good? Is God punishing me? Did God look back and, and see the thing that I did way back here that he wanted me to do and I was disobedient and he saw it and now this thing's coming back to bite me? Or, or that thing that God asked me to do and I wasn't willing to and, and now I'm in the middle of this painful situation and man, is God punishing me for this? We're all going to ask questions like that. Is God vengeful? And is he trying to destroy my life? Does he hate me? For real honest, some of us are going to, we're going to get down to that kind of question. And where we have to land and what we need to see is that none of that is true. God is good. He is a good God. He's a loving God. Here's what David would land on this truth. Even though he couldn't understand all the circumstances and couldn't get his mind around it, he clung to the truth that he could trust in God's unfailing love and he could trust the fact that God is a good God. He is not evil and he is not wicked and he's not vengeful towards me. He's the one that introduced salvation. And God is good. Now, if I start to see the goodness of God and I'm in the midst of pain, my vision can begin to expand from there. And here's what I can start to see that in the hands of a good God, no pain is wasted, right? That's how that works. Nothing is wasted in the hands of a good God. And that's the next piece that I wanna start to see that when I am broken and when my heart is shattered or when I'm just frustrated and restless and I don't know where to go, God will not waste that. We see this start to show up in a big way in the book of James, I just want to read you these handful of verses. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen along. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. This was the first passage of Scripture I ever learned. As I came to know Jesus as a young adult in college, Pastor Jeff was teaching this Bible study, and this was the first time I had ever heard the Bible taught. And I remember thinking after going, you know, just like all of us, I'm going to go through hard times. I'd never seen this kind of fresh perspective on how to go through difficult times. Listen to what James says. It's actually mind-blowing. James 1, 2, counterintuitive. Here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James is going to say, when I'm in the middle of a trial, I'm able to consider that pure joy. I want to make sure this is clear. The circumstance that I'm in, if it's loss or if it's cancer. That, that's not a good circumstance. That's, that is a terrible thing. God hates death and God hates the, the ramifications that are going to show up because sin is in the world. That stuff was never the heart of God. It was never intended that that would happen, right? Sin created these problems that we have all around us. James isn't looking at us and saying, I want you to rejoice and be glad that you have X, terrible circumstance. What he's saying is it's not the the trial I'm rejoicing in. I'm rejoicing in what the trial produces in me. Why? Because God will never waste any pain. Right? Every frustration and every tear cried and if I submit that trial to God and I allow him into my life, he will not waste anything. And that is critical for me to know. I need to know that. That it's not in vain. Right? That that I'm not suffering without reason. That God will, because He is good, He will take the pain that I'm experiencing in my trial. and, And this is what James says it produces perseverance in me. It changes me. And he'll maximize that in me. And Jesus Himself had to do this. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, right? The God-man. Hebrews would say that the God-man, Jesus, learned obedience by what he suffered. That even he himself grew through trials. And we follow that same path. You and I will, as we grow and change, it's one of the ways God makes us more like Jesus And while none of it makes sense in the moment, as I make my way through a trial, I start to see that God redeems it. He does not waste it. He maximizes it for my benefit, and then eventually I can help others as well. God is good. Nothing is wasted in his hands. But that's not enough, right? It's not enough to know that there's a good God out there somewhere that's just maximizing my circumstances Ultimately, I, I need to see this next part that in the thick of trial, my God is actually with me. He's actually with me. Right? He's not distant, He's not far off. He is actually here with me. Look at this verse I put on the screen for us Psalm 30, 34 18. The psalmist says this The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Pain has a way of making us feel incredibly lonely, doesn't it? When I'm in the thick of it, I I feel alone, and I need to know that God sees every emotion that I have. He knows exactly what's going on inside my heart. And even though no one else fully understands it, Right? They, they don't know all of the circumstances, and they don't see all of the injustice and, and all of how it could have worked out the right way if only. Right? They, they don't know how deep the hurt is when that person did this. But God actually knows that, and he sees that, and he's here with me, and he's like a father who is looking at his heartbroken child saying, come to me, I want you to be with me, I'm right here waiting to receive you and to let you in. He is close to the brokenhearted. And that is critical. Right? When my world's falling apart, I don't know what else could uphold me, but to know that that is true. You guys, this, this is one of the reasons, this reality that God is with me, that he's not far off, he's not judging me, he's not looking at me saying, I want you to suck it up right? I want you to get over it. He's a God who is heartbroken with me. That's one of the reasons that the Bible would tell those who are close to those who are suffering that we should mourn with those who mourn. Let me explain what I mean, right? When we are close to somebody who's in the middle of this, maybe right now I'm not in the thick of a trial, but I know somebody who is, God would look and say, I want you to mourn with That person. Come alongside them and hear them and listen to them and give them an ear and give your physical presence to them and let you know that your heart breaks with theirs. Why? Because when I mourn with someone who's mourning, it reminds that person that God is with them. Our physical presence reminds people who are hurting that our God is just as present and his heart breaks for them and they see that in us, right? God is with me even in my darkest hour. That leads us to the ultimate anchor of truth, right? As my vision moves past my pain, doesn't minimize my pain, but expands it to hope. I see that God is good, that nothing's wasted in his hands, that he's with me, and that ultimately I have a future, We see this come through in Revelation chapter 21, that the same God who is here with me now and I embrace him by faith, I will eventually know him and see him by sight because eternity is real. And if I have faith in Jesus, I will spend that eternity with that God, the God who is good, the God who has wasted no pain in my life. And here's where this is gonna show up in Revelation 21, three and four. Just listen along as I read this. This so is the Apostle John talking about heaven, right, talking about what is to come. He says, and I heard a loud voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell among them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's talking about Physically. They're physically going to see God and we're going to see Jesus and be able to look at Jesus face to face, the one who willingly laid down his life for us. What will that be like? Here's here's what he says. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away no more cancer, no more disease, no more mourning, no more failed expectations or broken dreams, right? no, no more interpersonal turmoil, no more need for forgiveness. What's that going to be like? Right? It's going to be amazing to, that, that eternity is real and heaven is coming and the trial that I'm in the thick of right now will one day feel far away and it will feel temporary even though today it's it's about all I can see when I'm in the thick of it right? Eternity's real I start from a place where my trials all I can see and the pain of it consumes me and as my vision grows farther than that as I begin to see that there's more to the picture my pain is not minimized, right? It doesn't make the pain of the trial go away, but the rest of the picture is filled out. And context is given to what I'm experiencing, and I am not alone in it, and there is purpose to it, and there's hope, right? The minimizing of pain is never helpful, but when I let hope grow in my heart and mind, it's unbelievably helpful, right? It's mind-blowing, and I can find wonder in it. So what do we do with this picture? Right? How do I deal with this? If I'm in a place where I have a trial of any size that's got my attention, right? it can be small or it can be huge, when if I'm in the thick of a trial and it's got me right now, here's what I think needs to happen, here's what we need to do very simple, very practical step, but actually one that's kind of hard to take, if I'm honest. I need to go to Jesus and share from the heart. I actually need to to make a specific, dedicated time to spend with Jesus. Right, and we say, what am I going to do in that time? I'm just going to talk to the wall kind of thing. No, I'm going to share my heart and share from the heart Maybe it's like Dave and I, I need to write it down and say, Jesus, this is right where I am today. Here, here's where I am. If I'm angry, I'm going to write it down that I'm, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Maybe you're even frustrated at God. Listen, he can handle it. Like a father looking at their child wanting them to come to them no matter what. Maybe I write it down. For me, what it looks like when, when I'm in the thick of trials and I start to realize that's where I am and I start to hit wit's end, here, what I do is I go out into the woods. And sometimes I go out into the woods and if I'm frustrated, I'd yell. I'll, I'll yell out to God and say, God, I have no idea why this is happening. What do you want me to do? I don't understand it, right? And wherever I am, I'll kind of communicate that to God because he's a real person, right? We're not talking to the air. We're talking to God who is with me. He is real. And man, that's what a relationship with Jesus can look like. I can get to go to him even in my darkest hour. Can I make a time and set that aside to actually be with him and be with him face to face? Love it. If that's where you are, you would make that appointment even today and say this Tuesday at nine or whatever, I want to go be in the woods or I'm going to be in my dorm room with my face on the ground crying out to God and being real or I'm going to sit in my journal I'm going to write down whatever God's doing in my heart and I'm going to share that. I think you're going to be surprised Man, when you talk out loud to God, the emotion that gets involved, how helpful it is to communicate with, with Jesus in a real way just like you would a person. That's what David was doing. A real guy talking to a real God and change his heart. And it would move his perspective. And this, this is what will happen when we do that. It goes to the next part, Right? I go to Jesus, I share my heart, and then I begin to see the rest of the picture. We don't need to rush this. There's no hurry. But slowly but surely, I want to start to see more than my pain that there's hope to be had, that there's wonder to be had, and, and that God wants to meet me in the middle of it. He will not leave me. He is not angry at me, and he loves me, and he's passionate for me. I want to start to see the rest. Man, and my, my perspective will start to change in powerful ways. I was thinking about uh, this conversation this week, and a friend showed me this, this blog post uh, from a family member in our church, a very brave woman who's gone through the most difficult tragedy I can think of. And she, she lost her husband, a, a precious man and leader here at Grace. His name is... It was Ricky 2 months ago he passed and Liz his wife has begun to share about how she's coping with all this they have four young children and she's honest and it's not always easy but somehow she's coming through this with a hope that that I think is supernatural I asked her if I could could share this with you and she said absolutely Here's her last post, at least the last one I've seen. She called it Better Not Bitter. She says, in the end, you can't always choose what you keep. You can only choose how you let it go. She starts off, she says, I've been mulling over this the last few days. When I spoke at the funeral, I commented that I wanted to come out the other side of this awful time, a better person, not a bitter one. I'd originally heard this phrase a few years ago from a couple in our life group at church. Their son passed away unexpectedly when he was very young. They know pain. They have taken an awful circumstance, and they chose to use it for Jesus. Better, not bitter. What does it look like on a practical level, choosing to trust that God knows best I know that on a head knowledge level, but in my heart, can I say it? When grief hits not only close to our home, but actually hit our home with the force of a tornado, can I say that God still knows best and really mean it? In the last few weeks, I've felt my faith growing leaps and bounds. As I read the Bible and reflect, I see God with us in our pain. He feels it too. He's closer to us than ever before. She quotes Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Knowing he is a God of compassion and feels what we are going through is drawing me closer to him. Weird how that works. While I believe he did have the power to heal Ricky, I firmly believe he chose to bring him home to heaven. That was his best plan for Ricky. I can either be mad or frustrated the rest of my life or I can choose to believe that it was his best plan and learn to live here without my favorite person. I don't want to just bump along. I want to learn to live well. The Lord knows this will be a work in progress for some time. Ricky led our family in a beautiful and godly way while I'm great at being bossy and talking a lot, I have no idea where God wants to take our family now. She says, this is causing me to do a lot of leaning on and depending on Jesus. To let go and simply trust that he knows to be still and know that he is God. As I lean into him, he's given me strength to let go of the why and the hurt and the frustration. She quotes the lines from this song, through it all, Through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. So let it go, my soul, and trust in him. She says, I still sing this song like every hour of every day. Tony, her son, asked me the other day, "Uh, Mom, you played that song like 20 times. Do you like it or something? She says, Because of Jesus, I get to choose my response. I can take the negative to God and focus on his overwhelming goodness. I can take every sting to the Holy Spirit and let him make my life sweet, even in my pain. The knowledge that he is walking right beside me in this trial is such a comfort. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He says, I'm holding him to that. So in him I will walk with my head held high knowing that he's got this. Guys, I have, I have no explanation for this outside of the grace of God. I cannot imagine life without my wife. And she's doing this. And she would want you to know that it's the grace of God in her that is causing her to see beyond the excruciating pain that she's in to see hope. And that the grace of God that is being brought to bear in Liz's life is the same grace that can be brought to bear in ours in any time, in any trial, in any circumstance. And like like Liz says, I get to choose Jesus and I get to live life with him in the good times and in the bad, and God will show up and be with me through it. And somehow she's done this. She's finding wonder in the worst of trials. Guys, as we close our time here, I'm gonna have the band come up. I want us to begin to be honest. Like Liz has been, this is her heart on display. Can I begin to be honest and say, God, this is where I am. Like David and like Liz, can I put myself out there and start to say, Jesus, will you meet me here? We're gonna put a verse here up on the screen and read that and meditate on that and begin to engage Jesus even today. He loves us, he's passionate for us. He wants to know us on a one-on-one intimate way, right? Can we find wonder even in the trials? Let's pray together. Father, we say thank you. God, that, that thank you doesn't always come easy. And Lord, you know that. You know our hearts. Uh, You know our our disappointments and our heartbreak. You see it all. And you love us still. God, and we get to meet you there, and you meet us here. God, I pray that you would give us courage just to be honest, to be honest with ourselves, and to be honest with you. And Lord, we ask that you would give us hope and heal us in our trials. Cause us to be people of supernatural wonder. Do do in us, Lord, what you're doing in Liz. I can't explain it outside of your hand, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We say thank you for Opening all of this up for us. Or without you, we'd be lost. Meet us here, even now. It's in your name we pray.